When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's T with the UFOs Want to Tell You Something. So this week, I finally found the faded disc tapes again. I wanted to present a couple of the clips to you guys. These are some historical clips from 1957 to 1976 of alien abduction and cattle mutilations. The first one is going to be an interview with Barney Hill. You don't often get that from him. Other than his actual abduction regression tapes, I don't think he's actually spoken to the public a whole lot about his account. On that note, I've still been building my vocal booth and working on my book a lot. So if you'd like to maybe appear in the book, reach out to me at theufosyahoo.com or just message me on Facebook. Any experiences, any abductees, I want to talk to you, if you're willing to do it. And I want to thank all the abductees who have already reached out to me, as well as those who are putting abductees in contact with me. It is appreciated, and I do want to talk to you, so I want to thank you all. Now, soon enough, we'll get on a better schedule of me doing actual episodes again, instead of just clips. I still periodically have those throughout, and I've got a pretty good one lined up for you guys. I also wanted to say that on February 28th, Kathleen Martin will be on, and we're going to go a little bit into Betty and Barney Hill again. Alright guys, let's get it. Alright Mr. Hill, in New Hampshire, could you give us a story of that sighting? Well, this happened... In 1961, Tuesday the 19th of uh, September, and my wife and I were returning from New Hampshire, from a uh, correction, from Canada to New Hampshire. We were driving along Route 3, and it was approximately 11 o'clock at night in the evening when we saw what looked like a bright star in the heavens. It was the brightest star up there, and it was very clear night. So my wife remarked, uh, I was driving the car, and she remarked that the star had begun to move. So uh, this caused me to look through the windshield up toward the sky, and I told her that it was probably a satellite. Nothing to get alarmed about. We did have a, a pair of 7x50 crescent binoculars with us. So I stopped the car, and we got out, and she took the binoculars and was looking at the object, and I reached under the seat to get our little doggy, a little dachshund, and put the chain on her to walk her about while my wife was looking at the object. And she then passed the binoculars to me and said, well, you must really look at this satellite because it's not uh, behaving as we would expect a satellite to behave like. Well, I took the binoculars from her, and I too began looking. And surprisingly, this, what I thought was a star and a satellite, began coming in my direction at a very rapid uh, rate of speed. 
Uh, I was standing, to give a picture, I was standing facing the west, which would have been toward Vermont. And the object was coming from my left, which, which would have been to the south of me. And as it passed my right shoulder, it was quite a distance out, it made a left turn, completing the turn, and coming in toward me. Well, this caused me to become quite alarmed, and uh, I, re I told my wife, well, apparently it is not a satellite, it must be a passenger plane, and, a, and they obviously uh, are looking at us, and I thought that the pilot was uh, having uh, fun, uh, that he could easily see our car with the dome light on, uh, we had not passed any traffic uh, that evening uh, going or coming in either direction. So I felt a bit uh, uncomfortable to see this, what I thought was a plane, uh, come in our direction. So I returned to the car, and so did she, and we drove down the highway. We continued driving south, and my wife would occasionally remark that this object was still following us. It was flying in a very erratic pattern and she wanted me to stop and I would occasionally and look over in toward her side and I could see that this uh, light was still out there moving about. It would go up and then it would come down at very rapid and odd patterns of flight. Well then I thought it was probably uh, a military craft and uh, uh, I was thinking of the hot rod type flyer uh, and apparently they were having fun with us. These are the thoughts that were going on in my mind because uh, I had not at any time ever given any thought to uh, UFOs. You might say that I was a bit cynical about the entire uh, idea uh, concerning you unidentified flying objects. Well, this continued on for several miles as we would travel and stop and look and then continue to travel again. And finally, my wife became very uh, uh, upset. She said, I, I must stop the car again. Look right overhead. And I looked through the windshield off to the right on her, the passenger side of the car, and this object now was very extremely close, and it was moving backwards. And what I failed to mention is when we saw the object off in a great distance, it appeared to be winking, but now that it was close, it looked as if there was just one solid band of light, and this was moving backwards. And I had slowed the car down to approximately five miles an hour. Well, this was very upsetting, so I came to a complete stop in the center of the highway. I got out of the car, and I took the binoculars. I rest my left arm on the door that was open of the car door and my right uh, elbow on the roof of the car, and I tried to look, but the car was, motor was running, so I had to step away. Uh, as I stepped away from the car, the object swung from the passenger side over to the left, which would have been the side that I was driving, uh, and making a large arc-like turn, uh, placing it over a field. Well, this was very alarming to me, and I began uh, walking across the highway, looking up at the object with the binoculars, putting them down, shaking my head, saying, well, this just can't be true. I don't believe it. Uh, and I continued to walk until I was about, uh, oh, I would say approximately uh, 100 feet in this field, across this field, and the object was just above me. And this is when, when, while looking with the binoculars, I could see what I thought was approximately 9 to 11 uh, men, I would describe them. I would say that they were men. Uh, there was nothing uh, grotesque about them. Looking back at me, looking down uh, through this plate of glass, the series, series of windows toward me. So I then uh, was quite alarmed, but they, uh, of the group that was looking, they all turned to... The back of so that was facing the back of them 
There was a panel. It looked as if it was a panel. They began pulling levers. Only one object continued to stare from the window down toward me. And I then saw two red lights on the side of the craft, which seemed to be the extension of a wing, a fan-type wing, I would describe it. Not a conventional wing that we associate with uh, airplanes, but more of a fan-type thing moving away from the side of this object, which had the shape of the so-called flying saucer. Well, this was too much for me, and I made a hasty retreat to the car, screaming to the wife that they were they had seen me, they had seen us, and we had to get away. And this was the extent of the sighting, which I found very distressing and very difficult to believe. Uh, Mr. Hill, did you report this to anyone? Yes, we did. After we arrived home in Portsmouth, well, we decided we wouldn't uh, mention this to anyone, that it was too ridiculous, too absurd <laughs> for us to believe. Uh, yet we knew we had seen something, uh, something uh, that uh, we that was strange to us. Uh, we, I suppose, we could both tell what a uh, plane looked like, and I failed to mention that there was the absence of any sound. There was absolutely no sound associated with this object. It must have, at the time, been approximately a hundred uh, feet up or above my head. This would be about ten stories up. Uh, the size of it was about oh, approximately. Uh, uh, if you were looking at a large uh, military plane or at any commercial airliner from tail to head, uh, this is the size of it as the series of windows were around it. This is how huge it was. When we arrived in Portsmouth, we decided not to tell anyone, but uh, my wife decided she would tell her sister. Well, she called her sister and she said, well, hang up, she was going to call a friend of hers that is a physicist and uh, asked what he knows about these things. So she called us, her sister called us back to tell us that the physicist had suggested that we go out and see if there was any radioactivity around, ready, anything uh, unusual about the car, if we had a compass to take it with us. Well, I, this was too much for me. I told my wife that as far as I was concerned, uh, I wanted to forget the whole thing. And so she said, well, where's the compass? And I told her, well, I don't know. I put it somewhere, and she said, well, where's the compass? I said, oh, geez, if you're going to keep this up, I'll smash the compass. And she said, well, if you do, I'll go out and buy another one. And so she found the compass. She went out, and she came back into uh, the house very excited and insisted on me going out and looking at her car. We were using her car at the time. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, on the trunk of her car, there were these large, shiny spots about the size of uh, a silver dollar. There must have been approximately 20 of these spots, not in any particular pattern, but just these spots on the trunk. Uh, after having traveled the distance we had, the car was quite dusty, but these spots were very, very highly shiny. And wherever she would put the compass near the, these spots, uh, the compass would spin. But if she placed the compass close to uh, any of the areas where the spots weren't located, surprisingly, the compass then would tilt downward toward the middle of the, of the car. Well, I thought this was a bit unusual because I did try to say, well, at any time you take a compass and place it around any metal, uh, particularly like a car with a battery, it will attract a magnet to it. But the fact that the compass would spin only in the area where the spots was located, I thought was a bit unusual. And then this is when my wife decided, well, we should notify someone, and we thought of notifying of the military uh, base located in this area. And uh, briefly, what was their reaction to this? 
Uh, it was curious and interesting. Uh, they, I didn't want any parts of it. I told my wife that she could go ahead and contact them and leave me out of it. Uh, but while talking to her, then they asked for me to uh, give my account of it. And this uh, drew me into the conversation. So I uh, also talked to a major, and uh, he then explained to me that the conversation was going to be monitored and that uh, I was to uh, hold on and uh, the conversation was not going to take place at this particular military establishment, but elsewhere, but he did not designate where. So I held on for a few minutes, brief minutes, and then another voice came on telling me to tell all that I had seen and give an account, a full account and description of this uh, thing that I had seen. And have you heard something since that time? Uh, this was on, uh, well, they called back the following morning about uh, 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, the, uh, I thought what this officer had to say was very interesting. He did not elaborate on why he said this, but he said he had been up all night uh, working on the uh, description of the wings of this and the two red lights. And uh, that, uh, could I give any more information? Well, I had given him all the information I could at the time about it, and that was the extent of, uh, of the, the contact we had with the uh, military the Air Force. You describe these people or things you saw at the window. Uh, to give a description of them? Yes. Yes. Well, there was nothing unusual about them. They did have on what I thought uh, was a black type shiny uniform, similar to the, to the kind uh, you find uh, motorcyclists wearing, the black leather type jackets and whatnot. And uh, the uh, one that I will now just for, identif uh, for identifying purposes call a leader uh, well, he had on a military-type cap with the visor, while the others did not. Uh, and they moved back to the wind, away from the window, while this one with the black leather-type uh, uniform, I will say uniform, continued to look down at me. I think you indicated earlier that they were pretty human-looking. Yes, they? and uh, you have to consider that looking uh, at anyone in a window uh, ten stories up with a binocular, uh, the only thing you can discern is that they look human and nothing grotesque about them. Mm -hmm. Hill, this is Wes Fitch. Uh, did you feel there was anything sinister about these people? Did you get that impression? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, only that uh, it was a strange situation and therefore uh, I have thought of this many times. That is to say, was there anything sinister about them or was it because of the unusual situation that I was in? Uh, magnifying uh, my uh, feelings. Uh, I did feel that there was something sinister, strange, unusual about the whole thing. Do you feel that those thoughts had anything to do with that beeping sound that followed uh, your car? I failed to mention that, didn't I? When I returned to the car when we were up in the mountains, when I mentioned to my wife uh, that, uh, oh my God, I said, they, uh, are looking at us and they have they have, they have seen us and they're coming after us uh, when I returned to the car there was a series of beeps uh, these beeps were very peculiar because uh, it was much like a tuning fork being struck and placed against you a very subtle type vibration and that's the way the car vibrated and it was beep 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 beep, beep. and I, I said to my wife my god what is that I said look out the window they're right overhead and she looked out of the window, but she couldn't see anything. And, and later we find out that she couldn't see the sky as well. So apparently the craft had moved overhead over us. Hmm. 
Do you think that the metal discs then did have anything to do with that beeping sound? I do, yes. The thing that has continued to be an enigma, a puzzle to me, is that I said, my God, they're going to capture us. And uh, I have never understood why. I cannot understand why I made that remark, only to have the beeping sound. And then uh, 35 miles further south, we were beeped again, and this is the only time my wife and I then began to communicate with one another by saying, well, what was it we saw? Uh, this is surprising because that 35-mile period, we did not discuss anything. Uh, this is Earl Neff speaking. You didn't have a relaxed feeling at any time, did you? Uh, yes. You did? Uh, after I, rushed, I returned to the car and I told my wife they were going to capture us, and she looked out of the window and she said she could not see them, or it, or the object, and then we had the series of beeps. Uh, there is just a void, you might say, because we did not, again, mention anything about uh, having seen anything until we were now uh, 35 miles further south, and uh, we saw what we thought was a bright moon. And I said, oh my God, not again. And then we were beeped again, and then we from that point, we started talking with one another, about, well, what do you think of that? And my wife asked me, well, do you believe in flying saucers now? And I said, oh, don't be silly, of course not. <laughs> the next one I've got for you guys is Dr. Benjamin Simon on the Betty and Barney Hill incident. You'll hear his thoughts and what he makes of the entire thing. While I disagree with Dr. Benjamin Simon, it's best to have his report of it. Dr. Benjamin Simon was a great hypnotist, and he knew what he was doing. In a common sense approach to UFOs by Betty Hill, she talks about how Dr. Benjamin Simon later on put Barney Hill in a hallucinatory state. That is to say, to show him the difference between a normal regression and one built on fantasy. Interestingly enough, Barney Hill could definitely tell the difference. Now this whole thing won't be on just Betty and Barney Hill. I'll throw in some cattle mutilation stuff in there too. But I want to get you guys a good primer if you're not too familiar with them, because I know there's some new listeners. So let's get it. I think everyone in the country has heard about Betty and Barney Hill, about the uh, the book Interrupted Journey and the UFO picture that was just on TV the other night. Well, there's a gentleman. His name is Dr. Benjamin Simon. He's a psychiatrist in the Boston area, and he was called on to uh, interview, psychoanalyze, and hypnotize Betty Hill and Barney Hill. So let's switch out to his home and uh, welcome Dr. Simon to our program. Dr. Simon? Yes. Good morning. Thank you very much for staying up this late. I know that you're uh, a daytimer, and I appreciate you staying up this late to come on the air with us. Mm-hmm. What are, are you, did you take a nap before you, you, you were, were called? No, I just watched TV. Oh. Now, what I'd like to do is do a step-by-step. I'd like to start from the beginning, mm-hmm. if, if you would, and, uh, and hit a lot of details that have been eliminated on, and, on other, and other types of media. And uh, as we go along, we'll... I just want you to give us your personal opinion, what you can say. I know that for some time you uh, were hesitant 
and reluctant to say certain things. I'd like you just to say, just be candid and uh, tell the folks whatever you think. And then later, if with, uh, with your permission, we'll take some calls from people around the country, okay? All right. Now, let's start from the beginning. This started in the, uh, the early 60s. And what, when, were you, when did you first enter this, this story of Benny and Barty Hill? Well, it was in, in late uh, 63, quite near Christmas time. And uh, I kept an appointment which my secretary had made with a Mr. Barney Hill. When I uh, went into the waiting room, there was a white woman present, too. I thought she might be there for one of my associates. Uh, he gave me essential uh, uh, stories that he had been under treatment for about a year with a New Hampshire psychiatrist for marked anxiety, uh, had also symptoms, high blood pressure. And uh, over the year, he hadn't gotten very far and had only, was only recommended to me uh, by his psychiatrist. At that time, uh, Betty uh, was there purely as his life companion. Well, they began almost at the beginning with a six-page report from NICAP, which I had never heard before. It's the National Investigating Committee for Aerial Phenomena. And uh, this is the story of their uh, seeing an unidentified flying object, which was investigated by a NICAP investigator who made this report. Had uh, intimated uh, that they were quite honest people, and that he believed the story. That story had first come to light during the treatment by uh, his uh, New Hampshire psychiatrist. Uh, he felt that this might be of some interest because also there was a feeling on the part of both Barney and Betty that they had, there was something in their lives, uh, two hours or so, which seemed to bother them, but for which they could not account. Well, just a blank for it. Well, this seemed, this is true of both. And then, uh, well, Barney's symptoms had begun just after they had this supposed sighting, Betty had responded by a series of dreams extending over a week or more of a nightmarish quality. So it seemed that uh, this problem really involved both of them in their experiences, and I undertook to take uh, to take both into treatment and uh, to uh, uh, use hypnosis to penetrate what appeared to be an amnesic period uh, with very vague, vague background. The only feeling they had was that on coming back on a trip from Canada, they got home about two hours later than they should have. And they had no idea what had happened, if anything, during these two hours. So uh, that was the beginning, and I must... Uh, uh, insist that everyone understand that these two people came to me not for an investigation of UFOs or any other things that later came to me. Uh, the, all of the rest that transpired afterwards, the, the story and everything, was a consequence of the findings uh, in during the treatment of the two. Uh, which was substantially successful in about seven months. Okay, now would you start with uh, with your treatment and and uh, and I'd like to know your reaction uh, when you heard uh, their experience. Uh, 
and uh, how far uh, how far did they go back? Uh, how far did you regress them before they started telling you? Well, the story? I took them back to uh, a starting point of Montreal. They had been to Niagara Falls and were coming home. And Montreal, you might say, was at the uh, top of the journey, if you watch it on a map, coming down to New Hampshire. And uh, there didn't seem to be much before that. I took that as a takeable point. And uh, simply, uh, under hypnosis, which was quite deep, uh, told them, well, I took them one at a time, of course, so we begin with Barney, and uh, t uh, directed him to tell me everything that happened on that trip, all the feelings he had, all the experiences were to be related, and so on. This would uh, be somewhat different from the written report, which was a written report. Uh, here they were to really act out or relive that trip. Can you tell us now uh, uh, Bonnie's report? Can, uh, can you remember clearly Bonnie's report and then, what, and then uh, Betty's report? Yeah. Well, uh, I can simplify the whole thing yeah. uh, by saying that Barney and Betty gave the same story. And that story was precisely like the story that had been uh, written up by the NICAP investigator. There were no significant differences, in fact, practically no differences uh, between the three. This story they each gave consciously. Remember now, this was spread over quite a, a bit of time. But I took Barney up to a, uh, well, pretty well through it, then followed by Betty. So we came along, we had the experience, and what marked the trip, uh, particularly from Barney's point of view, up to the time of the sighting, was a revelation, coming mostly from his unconscious, of the marked anxiety he had in being a black man in a white culture. To me, this is the most important part in the revelations of the feelings of a human being uh, in a uh, surroundings which he felt to be inimical to him. And as the, he made the ship down, uh, they would stop to eat. He would wonder if he was going to be allowed in, or they stopped at a motel or something like that, whether they would accept him because he was surprised. And all of this Barney 
did not show strong convictions that it was that it was anything but some wayward plane or what you will. Betty stayed in the car for the most part. That little dog, Delphi, was frightened, and uh, Betty began to become anxious. It seemed to me she was much more anxious about Barney out on the road uh, and uh, sort of walking away and then back to the car. Then she was about what they saw, though she herself felt that it was some sort of UFO. She had much more conviction on that than Barney. So we went through all of that scene, and in this, both shared exactly alike. Uh, we uh, we continued on with it. Naturally, enough, I was constantly on the alert for what this could mean, whether it was a hallucination or what sort of thing, whether there might be something present. And, of course, UFO was constantly in the words and in the air, particularly in Betty. So the story had been told to me, and all the information were that they gave exactly the same story. Uh, the... Uh, there was no difference that they both shared the same experience all the way. However, as we went along, I, I finished Barney uh, on a sort of a note of exaltation. His fears were quieted, and uh, uh, he was feeling better, at least at that time. Uh, when I went to Betty's uh, story, up to that point of the sighting of the so-called UFO, or whatever it was, Betty's story and Barney's were the same. She, uh, being a different personality, uh, gave a little more gaiety to it and so on, didn't show as much terror, and she went much further than Barney, uh, where he ended up on a note of, well, he'd been through an experience and uh, took a deep breath and went home. By the way, um, well, let's go on first. Uh, Eddie's story went on beyond that in telling the story of having been, uh, that the, uh, the UFO had landed, had made beeping sound, uh, sounds, and had installed their motor, and various things of that sort, and had caused silver-like spots to appear on their car. Uh, however, it seemed to land, and then men emerged from it, and I suppose everyone who has seen the movie, uh, uh, see what the men were supposed to look like, a rather oriental cast and uh, so on. A usual type of presumed uh, extraterritorial visitors from wherever they may come. She went on with a fantastic story of having been taken aboard. She described Barney as with his eyes closed, as sort of suspended between two men who were half dragging him along to the same vehicle, and uh, uh, she was had her eyes open and did not have to be dragged, and she was taken along by what appeared to be the leader of the group and taken aboard the same vehicle there. They were separated. Barney was taken into a room, presumably for the same purpose. She was into her room, that is, an examination. And on board, they conducted a physical examination of her in the fashion that anyone who's been to a doctor would, would quite well recognize. And uh, there I was. The UFO uh, didn't trouble me. First, I want to say I believe implicitly in the honesty of these people and still do. Darn you, Barney and Borsten. What did you personally think? Did you think that they were hallucinating at this time? Well, uh, it depends on what you mean. There, uh, there were, certainly was not psychotic hallucinations. And uh, up until Betty's story, I took it as a clear relation to things that had happened. 
But when she began to uh, give all the experiences of being examined, take the board, reading maps, all sorts of things like that, I still didn't feel they were hallucinations uh, in the more psychotic sense, but they certainly were a marked deviation from the very matter-of-fact uh, things that had gone up to then. All of that was easily believable. Now, here we are, was faced with this, with a story that was very fantastic. That is the, now, we make a sharp division between the sighting and uh, with of the vehicle and the ultimate experience of being abducted, take the board and everything that followed thereafter. This had me in a bind. I was now faced with certain uh, decisions, and I couldn't make them. That is, was, uh, if, uh, if this were real and true, I would have to believe that uh, these supposed uh, people were from outer space, and we were having what everybody hopes we'll have, and nobody has proved at all. The uh, visitation from outer space, the old classical UFO as a phone. Well, by the way, I must define UFO as I see it, means an unidentified flying object, and that's all it means. It can be Menzo's balloons, weather balloons, misinterpreted, or anything else. It does not, by its definition, imply visitation from outer space, which might or might not be a part of it. And I insist on uh, remembering that. Uh, because I, too, have seen a couple of UFOs, and both of them became IFOs at a later time. That is, they became identified flying objects. However, there I was. I believed in their honesty. This story was fantastic and unreal, and either had to be rejected or accepted. Then, uh, at that point, I became aware of something that at the point, up to the point of the sighting and those experiences, the two stories were exactly alike, and everybody had said, well, they are alike all along. Well, they weren't alike. Betty's experiences were far more vivid, far clearer, and uh, much uh, more material there than Barney, who simply felt himself as being supported with his eyes closed. What uh, turned up then, as I reviewed it all, everything that Barney had said, which was very little about that abduction, was in Betty's story. She saw it, she saw him be dragged away and all that. Nothing of Betty's story, but nothing was in Barney's story. So they were not alike from that point on. Uh, did he reject any of her, any of her story? Well, there wasn't a question. At that point, he didn't know. The, uh, the question of validity came up much later when everything was over and we were going over the material. What about his testimony about uh, the two hours? Did it coincide with her testimony? The, the... Both of them gave the same. Right. However, in giving it, <laughs> they both gave the answer to the two hours. It was very clear. It was not due to that abduction, which they supposed had taken place in the two hours and had been repressed on instruction from these visitors. I was just wondering if, uh, if we took two other people and had them experience something for two hours, would their testimony be identical, or would they would they differ? Is there, is well, if it, if it was true, they yeah. uh, they should be identical. Everything else was identical up till then. But now the question, uh, they two were not alike, uh, very very markedly different. So uh, I'm realizing then that uh, this difference was critical. I had a uh, uh, I. Uh, uh, Betty gave by far the most elaborate story, the deal in the navel and all the things which I can't stop to describe. They're all a part of the story in the book and in the movie. 
some fantastic examinations, uh, resembling things that you might find in an American hospital. That was the turning point. I had to explain that or accept the fact, since I believe their honesty, that they, this was truly a visitation out of space, though there were many uh, questionable places in it because of things. Oh, everything that was done was in the American style or American type instruments. And even in England, for example, while surgeons may do the same thing, the instruments may accomplish the same, and they're different. That would be true anywhere. A lot of things of that sort, and if you're acquired later or asked about, I might give you that example here or there. But the point was that the turning point was, again, as I said, that difference in their two stories. And the second realization that Betty gave a very elaborate story, a very elaborate and detailed one, uh, and Barney gave a minimal story, that everything that occurred with Barney was uh, known to Betty, and uh, nothing of Betty is known to Barney. Then I realized that uh, there had to be some substance, something behind that difference. And I remembered at that point that when they first saw me, uh, Betty uh, had had these dreams, these nightmarish dreams. Uh, of course, the other thing I had to find out is how did it get to Barney? Uh, in further investigation, I asked Betty if she had told her dreams to Barney. She said, no, he was working nights, so he wasn't home. When I asked Barney if she told him, he said, no. Now, there's one thing that I that is important that a hypnotized person tells the truth. But you've got to remember, which I remember later, that he tells it as he sees it, as it sees the truth to him, which may not be the true reality. That doesn't mean he has lied or malingered. Well... As I went along with that and saw this deviation, I remembered that one of the many, uh, Betty's symptomatology, in contrast to Barney's anxiety, were these nightmarish dreams. She had uh, not told me what they were. She said she had written them down at the time they occurred. That means way back in 61. But uh, uh, couldn't find, I asked her to bring it in, and she said she couldn't find uh, the dreams. Uh, I subsequently directed her under hypnosis to bring it in, and she found it and brought it in. I have it. Uh, now, when Betty told all of this story, I asked her, remembering somewhat the nature of the dreams, asked her if that wasn't just like her dreams. She said, no, it wasn't. And I asked her what the difference was. She said, well, in the dreams, she had gone up a ramp. And in the, now this may be wrong, it may be reversed, but it doesn't matter. There's a difference. And in the reality, she'd gone up some steps. Uh, I asked if, uh, wasn't this a, uh, a difference without a distinction? Or a distinction without a difference, whichever way you want to put it. And she denied it. That was the difference, was that she went up ramps and considered that important. So I directed her to bring in her dreams, that she would find them and bring them in the next session she brought them. And, uh, they were fully typed out by herself at the time they occurred. That's very important, back in 61. And uh, on a careful inspection of that with her story, they were exactly alike with one difference, that in the dreams she went up both a ramp and steps, or she and Barty were both taken up ramp and steps. That's all. Otherwise, they were exactly alike. And uh, still she would not accept fully that they were the same. Well, that gave me an answer at that point, that uh, 
this fantastic story uh, was uh, her dreams. And therefore, we could fit that uh, very well with reality. I mean, dreams of that sort are highly admissible. And uh, so I was satisfied. I didn't have to look any further for an explanation. I wouldn't have to accept under our present uh, conditions the existence of visitors from outer space, however they describe whatever they were. Dr. Simon, we're going to take a break now. And when we come back, I'd like to ask you about... Uh, uh, their revelation of the, this constellation of the stars uh, and, and today's uh, uh, discovery of these stars. And I, I'd like you to tell us about that, and then later we'll take... At least what it was then. Okay. About today's discovery, I'm, uh, I've been, they've been mentioned. Uh, I'm not impressed. I haven't gone into it. Very good. Okay. Let's continue. Uh, Dr. Simon? Yes. Okay. Uh, Let's continue, if you would, with those. See, I didn't see the, I didn't see the, the uh, motion picture of the, the TV show. Now, what was the story? And people called last night and asked about the stars that she identified in the early 60s and that none of the astronomers or scientists knew about until recently. Can you tell us that story? Well, I don't know much about that story. That's Betty's story. Oh, yeah. And uh, I haven't, uh, I'm convinced that uh, much they're open to question. And uh, so I haven't bought because it isn't particularly relevant. If, uh, in the first place, let's, uh, let's, uh, I'll have to take an excerpt out of the situation she had, when in, uh, actually in the dream, but in her abduction, let's put it that way, uh, the leader, and she got quite friendly, and he uh, told her to answer her question about where they were and where they came from, and he said, well, he would tell her where they came from if she would tell him where she came from. And so he pulled down a map, which had a bunch of stars in it, and uh, uh, showed it to her. Uh, and uh, I asked her later to draw me that map. And what she drew was a map with a number of stars in it and a lot of lines, dotted lines and hard lines, one of which she said, represented trade routes between the, the stars in the universe, and the other one uh, represented, uh, what do you see, trade routes or expeditions. And uh, this case ended up in uh, the map that you see in the book or have seen illustrated and what you saw in the movie uh, at the end. If you can call it a map, it was uh, looked like a sort of a uh, bobtail cucumber. And... Uh, then, subsequent to, to that, she ran into an article in the New York Times uh, representing some radio uh, waves coming out of some stars in space, and uh, these were given certain names. Uh, the Russians had paid to hear radio sounds from that, and she superimposed that on her map, and it did to her that these stars all coincided. Uh, the uh, result of that situation, she wanted to take a copy of it with her, uh, but uh, when she couldn't show him where her, uh, her, uh, where she was, he said, well, if you don't know where you are, we won't tell you where we are or where we came from. The situation, uh, by my interpretation, is very obvious. She couldn't show him where she was because she was standing on it. In other words, she was... Uh, giving this in the viewpoint of the Earth, not of someone who's out in space, and therefore she couldn't show the things she was standing on. 
uh, others have made that observation too. Well, she claims that one of those stars uh, that she uh, put on there uh, has just recently been discovered. If that is true, of course, and if her map is valid, then the only thing she can claim is that she has precognition. I don't know how many of us are willing to accept that. You don't understand what I mean by precondition. It's sort of uh, foretelling the future. think, uh, in your opinion... Pardon, uh, I, in my opinion, I think this is simply uh, something that she believes and she has put together things. Uh, I'm not enough familiar with them because I don't consider them significant in my point. Let me point out that... Uh, that lead 
to expression through deeds. So it left me with just to round it out, at least to my satisfaction, the day stimulus, and that implied citing and unidentified by In other words, the day stimulus would be the unfinished thing that would express itself through deeds and other behavior in Barney with psychosomatic symptoms. There was plenty to suggest that something, I never could uh, find out what the precise thing was, except Barney's constantly increasing fear and his tremendous reaction of fear when the thing was cited. Now, there are many things that can be cited. I said I've seen a couple. Uh, many have been. Menzel of Harvard has described many aerial phenomena, uh, uh, weather balloons and such, that under certain weather conditions uh, can look like uh, UFOs. Uh, class in Washington has cited, uh, has uh, mentioned his theory of ball lightning as a base stimulus. In uh, my case, the YouTube stimuli, without giving the story, turned out to be the uh, American Airlines plane, and the one which I saw long before I ever knew the hills, and one subsequent to seen by me and another psychiatrist, turned out to be a brilliantly lighted sign outside of, of uh, Hartford, which was reflected through uh, misty sky and stayed with us for quite a while, so on. Uh, so, do you think? Uh, now, there's one thing that is shown, and actually they cut that into the movie, uh, it's not so clear, is that when they stopped at their last place, uh, there was a, uh, it looked as if some men working in the road, and if you saw the movie, uh, that is shown there, and that could have been very much a thing misinterpreted as a, uh, as a, a UFO in the other sense of the word. And uh, that about rounds out the story. In, Very good. In when when uh, uh, Betty and Barney Hill uh, were interviewed by NICAP, do you know, did the, uh, uh, did the people in NICAP buy their story, hook, line, and sinker? Yes. Hmm. And NICAP made one of the greatest mistakes I have ever seen. And uh, that is that the uh, interviewer was a scientist. And uh, there was a story of these silver spots about the size of a silver dollar on the back of their car, yes. which they said at the time uh, uh, were still on the car. And for God knows what reason, he never went out to look at them. I was going to ask you about that. Uh, were, were they still visible? Who saw them? Well, uh, nobody but Betty and Barney. Right. But uh, that is, uh, at least Betty spoke of them more, but... Here was an opportunity to see one single objective thing. You know, we've never had a single objective thing about one of these. Here was a chance to see the spot, at least. What happened to the car? I mean, what, who... Well, eventually they went away. Oh, I see. They, well, they were washed away eventually. Uh, could I pause for just a moment on that? I find that I didn't finish the one major point. Sure. That is, uh, that how did... Uh, when Betty denied telling it to Barney, and Barney denied being told, there I was again, because I believe they were telling the truth. How did this Betty story uh, get to Barney, or fragments of it? Well, I asked if she told her, as I said, to anyone. She said to her sister and her supervisor, the one who super, uh, suggested that this would, might not be a dream, but a reality. And I asked, where was Barney? Well, because he was uh, working nights, and where was he since he must be around in the daytime? Well, he was over in the corner uh, f uh, fussing around with something. 
So here is a classical thing of what a hypnotized person can do. He tells the truth and he lies at the same time. She, uh, that the literal thing was, of course, she didn't tell it to Barney. And the little, literal thing was that she didn't tell it to Barney coming from him. But she did tell it in Barney's presence, and that's where he got it. Mm. And so it was both the truth and lie. As they saw it, they used the literal thing of telling, meaning a verbal uh, expression directly to someone. That's all. That, that clears that part up very beautifully. Okay. Now this last clip for this week is about... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Snippy the horse or lady. This is the aftermath of her mutilation. I hope you guys enjoy. I just wondered, uh, what is the latest news out there about the horse? Well, actually, there's uh, you heard the veterinarian's report that the government hired to come in here. You mean Dr. O. Adams? Yeah, yes, uh-huh. And then there has been some different people in investigating since then. And there was uh, a, a week ago Sunday, there were some people here from April who felt that the hype was as if it had been tanned. But other than that, it's just people will just keep coming to watch, to look at the horse. And Life magazine was just here all afternoon and evening. The lady just left. Well, what about the horse? still don't have any answer. Is the horse still on the ground? Yes, it's still there. Isn't it uh, putrefied? Well, it never did smell. This is another odd thing about it. It never had the odor of a dead animal. Uh, is there something else odd about? Uh, this is, uh, it's, uh, you know, mostly the, the hide and the hair hasn't slipped like it should have. I mean, it's more like it's been tanned. Now, Mrs. Lewis, how many times have you ever seen an animal uh, that's been dead 30 days or 40 days? Oh, quite often because I was raised on a, on a horse and cattle ranch. And you've seen them dead for, for long periods of time? Oh, yes, and I was raised in the mountains up there where you see dead deer quite often. And so you felt that there was something funny about this animal? Oh, definitely. Oh, oh, oh it was cut absolutely from right into the bone, and then the head and neck looked like it had been dead for years. What I'm, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the rest of the carcass itself. Now, uh, have you talked to any other pathologist about the innards, you know, the, uh, the abdomen part? Did uh-huh. anybody tell you that there should have been... You know, intestines and things yes, of this nature. But that Mary here says that in a month's time this shouldn't have been gone. There is a horse out here on the game refuge that the manager and one of the employees found the other day that they know has been dead. So a year. So they opened and looked, and they said the organs are still uh, recognizable. However, they're dried up and shriveled up to nothing, but they are recognizable in the horse. A year. Eaten out by coyotes. They also opened the brain cavity, and there was still substance in there. And they know this horse has been dead a year. Well, this is really something. Yes, I thought it was very interesting. And they were going to take pictures and mail this information to Dr. 
would you say those were? I read in an article where they said there were no black markings. Hundreds of people had seen these when the nightcap people came. They asked the spectators, some of the local people here, to stand on the bigger spot, biggest of the spots near them. We formed a circle, 75 feet across. And when they stood on the smaller spots around the big spot, again it was a circle 15 feet in diameter. Now, uh, why did the government office put out the fact that there were no black spots? Now wait a minute. Now you're talking about black spots. I understood the the black spots. You mean the uh, you mean the whole circle of 75 feet was black? No, no. It's uh, southeast of the horse there, about 70 feet from the horse. There were these black smudge marks that looked like car exhaust was shot on the ground. Yes. Oh, some of them were 10 inches, some of them 18 inches across. All round? They were not exactly round. No, they were not. You know, completely. Did they make a circular mark? Did they go around the circle? Well, no. About every few feet, from the, is, we picked out these bigger black spots. Mm -hmm. Some of them were, oh, four to five feet apart, some of them a little further. But when people stood on the biggest of these spots all around there, they, the people formed the circle. Right. 75 feet across. That is correct. Now, why didn't you pick up some of that black material yourself and save it? I have some in my trunk of my car right now. Is there, let me ask you a question. If you went down to the drugstore and got yourself a little vial, or if you had one at home, would you mind sending us some? I will do it. Will you, really? I have a little bit in a plastic bag that I took the first week after the horse was killed, and it's still in the truck. If you'll send us some of it, you don't have to send us all. I want you to keep some of it, because uh, I think you should have kept some of that for your own, uh, you know... Uh, for your own self, but we'd like to have any portion of it that you'll send us. All right. Anything that you have that uh, you would like, you wouldn't mind sharing with us, we'll pay for anything. A little bit of that mane that, that I it left a mark on my hand, or at least it, I found it in the bush where I first found it. I'm sure it's the same mane. I could put a little of that in. Fine. Hey, secondly, I, I read in that Sunday paper that uh, you found a piece of material about the size of a chicken liver and about the same shape. And when you broke it open, uh, some greenish, uh, light green material came out of it. Is that right? That is correct. And this same green paste is on the ground around the horse. How much of it? Oh, it's a thin coating, but it's a, a bright uh, apple green, a beautiful green. Right. And it is not low. You don't have any of that. Well, I can get some. <laughs> I mean, it's still around the horse. Well, I would, uh, we would uh, appreciate anything you can do for us in that respect. And we're doing everything we can to break this mystery as much as we can anyway. And we're willing to help you if you're willing to help us a little bit. I would like to get some of this to someone who would truthfully give me a report on it. I'm we're, sure the government has no intentions of giving out any report. All right. I'll tell you what we do. We, uh, we intend to do something with it. We'll see what we can do about a chemical analysis. I would like to send you a piece of the hide. There have been some gentlemen look at it and say it is like it has been tanned in a tannery. So I would like to put a piece of hide in. Okay. I'm just wondering, though, if uh, the chemical uh, processes of, of keeping that animal out there for such a long time in a dead state wouldn't change the hide to a darkness. Well, it is a dark, but it, is, it has a pliability, and the hair hasn't slipped. I see. In other words, it's like you'd had it tanned. Huh. Which a uh, number of people seem to find real strange. Maybe I don't so. know enough about something like that.
like you're about right because if they've already made remarks to the effect that there was no black mark around it and you know that there was well hundreds of people saw them i know but as what i'm saying it's consistent with your ideas how are you going to believe whatever they say later on Well, they got some, but I've never heard a word from them. Well, it takes time. 
It takes time to run these tests. Then you have to evaluate them besides, you see. Yes, I realize. You're going 
listen. And we haven't got any answers yet. And we've seen a lot of things and we've heard a lot of stories. And so don't expect answers so quickly. You're impatient. Yes, <laughs> very impatient. <laughs> That's true, I guess. Yes, it's true. All right, then I'll tell you what now. Uh, you promised us some things, and we're going to hold you as an honorable person to those promises. Or we'll pester the heck out of you. Well, I am not going to put it with my stack of stuff. You won't believe me, but I have got a, a huge dish pan full of letters and addresses. I will tape it up here by the phone, and that way I can't get mixed up. Fine, because we've made three telephone calls out there, and each one of them is a costly thing. And uh, we're very, very happy to have talked to you tonight, and I uh, hope to hear from you again very soon. Okay, then, uh, thank you very much, Mrs. Lewis. Thank you. And good night, and uh, we do appreciate that. Good night, thank you. Good night. With that, we're going to end it here, guys. Next time, I'm going to give you some more faded disc stuff until this vocal booth gets built. Again, if you're an experiencer or an abductee, and you want to reach out to me, just hit me up at theufos at yahoo.com or message me on Facebook. I've got some really good encounters for you guys that are going to be coming up in this book from the experiencers I've been working with, but I do need a couple more. Now again, I want to thank you guys for listening. Please like, share, and get this out there. I want to thank the Goobies for Hot Rods and Outer Space as always, badass band, please check them out. And just remember, the UFOs want to tell you something.